I thought I should start off with just telling you a little bit about myself, and, and Justin's already wrecked part of that first impression. <laughs> but, uh, but I am from eastern Washington, so the humor is a little bit dry. Uh, but my, I grew up the, the son of a scientist. Uh, my father taught at uh, Washington State University in plant physiology and horticulture, and then he's uh, run several of the largest farms in the world uh, throughout uh, my growing up, and uh, it was a beautiful thing seeing my dad's, I would say skeptical is probably the best way to describe it, but he's, he's the type of guy, he wants, he, wants to, he wants to see it, he wants to reason it out before he believes it, but he's also a very strong uh, believer in Jesus, and a loving uh, and strong uh, role model of a dad. So uh, I also grew up in a home with, with a mom who was, is the best way to describe her, velvet-covered steel. Uh, she comes from a long line of very mild-mannered women that you don't want to mess with. And uh, all the way back to great-great-great-grandma who came across, walked uh, all the way from, from Iowa to Oregon on a, on a trail with wagons. So it's, uh, so come from that, that background, I've been a follower of Jesus, seriously, since I was 16 years old. And uh, I think I have a, a picture on a slide of my family. I've been married to Catherine uh, for 25 years now, and, uh, and most of those years have been uh, really quite pleasant um, for both of us. And <laughs> if she, she's not here, so usually when I say things like that in Issaquah, what it does is unite the whole church uh, against me and for her. So, uh, but I also have four kids, uh, Nathan, who's a Marine, uh, Carolyn, who is a sophomore at Central Washington, Elena, who's a senior, and Lizzie, our little surprise, uh, is, uh, is 12. And uh, Elena's the one that's glaring at me uh, in the picture, and that's because I love authentic pictures. Don't you, don't you love it when the, when the family picture just gives you like an uh, insight into their personality? And so right before that picture, I said something that I knew would get a response, and there it is. You're, I also wanted to greet you in the name of your brothers and sisters on the east side. Uh, we love you. and In many ways, uh, it's our joy to help you in this time as a way of saying thank you. A thank you, most importantly, to Jesus, uh, who has given us everything. And so it's such a great opportunity to, to just in some small way, be a blessing to you uh, in thanks to what Jesus has done. But I think we could also thank you as Soma Tacoma uh, in 2010, uh, we uh, were, were praying to God, help us to be better disciples of you in the everyday. And uh, after talking with, with Jeff Vanderstelt, uh, after talking with, uh, with, with Caesar, with other leaders here in Tacoma, uh, we decided to join the SOMA movement. And uh, we were not sure. Matter of fact, I have to be honest, I was pretty sure that the missional community model would not work in the, in the suburbs especially the new money suburbs that is Issaquah. And, uh, and I have been uh, just delightfully proven uh, wrong. Uh, and we, we minister in a, in a place not uh, artistic and, uh, and hipsterish like uh, Tacoma, but rather uh, we serve in a place where emotions are not encouraged. We, we are a community of, uh, of Amazon and Microsoft programmers. And, uh, but it is, but the truth is that life together on mission, serving each other and serving those that don't know Jesus yet is, is beautiful, just an absolute beautiful way to live, whether you live 
in Tacoma or Issaquah or anywhere in between. So we're so grateful for you, for how you poured into us, how you trained us, how you showed us what living life together on mission looks like. And I will be forever grateful to you. So what a joy it is for us to share with you our hearts. Uh, when we heard about Randy, we were devastated. Uh, and we the first thought was, how do we help? And uh, one of our members who has gone through a similar tragedy said what we need to do is we just need to have a team that is going to pray 24 hours a day and so for weeks we prayed 24 hours a day just you know one hour at a time my my segment was 7 a.m to 8 and we just prayed for you uh, praying for god's grace praying for his comfort and we continue to be uh, willing and would love to to care for you with our time our talent and our treasure so please let us know uh, if there's some way. Uh, you're very welcome. We love you. Um, uh, if there's any way that we can serve you, uh, we want to. And uh, it really is our, our privilege and our, our pleasure, just as your uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. So. so for the sermon series, we've been going through the prayers of Advent. And uh, last week, it was the prayer, I believe, help my unbelief. And Brennan preached a very pastoral, beautiful message. I, it ministered to my heart when I heard it this week. And if you, if you missed it, I encourage you to listen to it. Uh, but each of these messages focus on how different characters uh, react to the Advent. And there's, they, they react like we do. They respond to God's call in the middle of life with fear, with doubt, with beautiful responses of obedience, with beautiful responses of being willing to, uh, to wait or to go through uncertainty. And this morning we're going to look at Joseph. Joseph, the man who adopts Jesus as his own. The man who courageously supports Mary. It's interesting reading about Joseph as I was preparing. Uh, how many of you grew up in churches that had child-based nativity story plays. You know what I'm talking about? Um, I was always a shepherd. And I've thought about this. You know, at least the shepherd I was was always the one with the, with the worst costume and had no lines. <laughs> and, and I would ask why, and they're like, because you are a class clown and you're going to wreck everything. <laughs> I know. I've gotten over it. I'm not bitter. But, the, uh, but Joseph is the silent one in the bathrobe in these stories. And I was reading Russell Moore about this, and he's a gifted speaker and writer. And he said, he said I was, Russell Moore said that he was the cow in the play, and the cow had more lines than Joseph. And Joseph doesn't have a lot of lines, but he has quiet strength. And I think it comes from his awareness of the presence and the importance of God. So we're going to talk about Joseph today. And uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about the historical background. I'm, we're going to, I'm going to take you through the story. And at the end, we're going to go through some implications. And I'm going to keep my cell phone on up here uh, so that I'm aware of the time. Uh, and uh, the, the sound person told me 
uh, that we need to stop at a certain time, uh, either at that certain time or when a third of you are asleep. So, um, whichever comes first. So, if you're tired, just if you're tired of me speaking, just kind of lean over on someone else and start making noise. But uh, so this this story begins with engagement uh, and betrothal was much more, which is just their word for engagement, was much more comprehensive and serious than it is today. Much more binding. And so you, you ask someone if, you, if they would be your, your wife, and uh, you would enter into about a year-long process. And this was something that was helped along, helped arranged by your parents, but it still had mutual consent. Uh, then you would, pre- you would pay a deposit on the bride price. I'm not going to explain that today. Uh, but this is something that was as serious as marriage. And so if you, you broke the engagement, if you, you know, ha- if you started flirting with or had some sort of physical contact with someone else, it was, uh, it was considered adultery. Mary is probably 12, maybe 13, maybe 14, but no chance she's older than 16. Joseph is probably between 18 and 20. And if you have adultery during this time period, like any other time period, it is technically punishable by death. Usually that wasn't enforced. Very, very rarely was it enforced and probably involved something uh, beyond and additional to the adultery. But it most certainly, in this small town atmosphere, involved a tremendous amount of shame. So if you have a woman with child and she's divorced for this during, even during the engagement, the betrothal, she would be hard-pressed to ever find a husband, leaving her without means of support when her parents die. And here's the story. This is Matthew chapter 1, verses 18, and I'll eventually get down to 25, but I'll just take it piece by piece. And I'm, I'm reading in the New Living Translation. That's what we use up on on the east side. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break off the engagement quietly. Imagine 12-year-old Mary telling you that she was both a virgin and pregnant. At my high school, that would have been met with open scoffing, open laughter, open, yeah, right. For Mary... I think there would have been palpable fear at becoming an outcast. Fear of economic ruin. Fear of life outside of the respectable people in your social system, your social group. And maybe you've grown up in a small town and you realize how fast news goes and you realize how fast you can turn from a place of being secure to a place of Every, no one's talking to you, but everybody's talking about you. 
Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant. Likely Mary coming to him and explaining what happened, what the angel said. Remember, she's 12, 13, 14. Joseph doesn't believe her. Can you blame him? He's described as righteous, and I think that what that means is he's not going to pile on. He's not going to take revenge. I imagine he's hurt. He probably feels foolish. But he says, I'm just, he's, he decides, after I'm sure much thinking about it, that he is simply going to divorce her as quietly as he can, which means that he just has to declare it in front of two witnesses. And, uh, but he's not going to take on, he's not going to bear the guilt and the shame. And I think as, as he's made this decision and as he, before he goes to sleep, I think it would be reasonable for us to think that he is praying, oh God, walk me through my indecision and fear. What do I do? Is this the right thing to do? So in verse 20 it says, As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Yeshua. You are to name him the Lord saves for he will save his people from their sin. And all this occurred, just like Isaiah wrote, look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, meaning God with us. So God's intervention makes Joseph's path clear. Did he immediately wake up? After the dream, was his memory fuzzy? In this dream, the angel immediately addresses his fear and explains that Mary told him the truth. This baby is a son. This son is God saves. He will not only save people from their personal sin, he will save the whole people, the whole nation. They'll be delivered from subjugation, delivered from judgment. He is the long-awaited Messiah. And Joseph, if he actually obeys the angel, he will be walking away from his reputation and likely his economic security. Not everybody says okay to this. Not everybody says, okay, God, I will follow you if that means more difficulty for me. I will follow you knowing that this is going to cause me personal shame. This is going to, call me per, this is going to cause me personal economic difficulty. I don't know where you're at, but as a member of the human race, I often make the decision that leads to me a better reputation and more money. And I often have walked away myself. I would even say in some ways in the last couple of weeks, I've had a moment or two where I have walked away from what God wants for me out of fear for my reputation. 
and all I have to say as a pastor, often in counseling situations, with an open Bible and with a finger pointing at a verse that could not be more clear, like, be faithful to your spouse, clear, and have shown it to a lifelong follower of Jesus and said, this is God's will for you. It's written. It's clear. But it involved difficulty. It involved changing decision. It involved some sort of uh, deviation from the path they'd already chosen, and they simply walked their own way. Oh, God, in our fear, help us to trust that you'll never leave. Walk with us through our fear, God. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did just as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. When Joseph woke up, he did just as the angel of the Lord had commanded and took Mary and his wife. He didn't have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Yeshua. So Joseph leaves fear behind. I, I love this. I hope you, I hope when Tacoma, the, the ones who taught us the story of God, I hope when you hear that Joseph got up early the next morning and did exactly what God had commanded him to do, that that reminds you, that, that, that you start hearing Abraham. I think Joseph said, this is what God's word says. I think Joseph said, I feel the Spirit's presence in this. The angel made it super clear what my instructions were to be. Here's the opportunity. Mary's still willing to be married. Let's go. Because faith in God is stronger than fear. Because believing in God, knowing that God is with us, he loves us, and he's more important. His opinion is so much more important than anyone around us. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't we walk forward? Oh, God, in our fear, help us to trust that you will never leave us. Walk with us through our fear. What are the implications of this short story? First is, fear is understandable. Amen? Joseph's fear is relatable. His fear of losing his reputation, his standing in the community. I'll expand on it a little bit, but I think we can tell by his sons that he was a hard worker. And he knew scripture. I think he would have been a good neighbor. And he's, that's, it's going to be replaced with whispers as people are counting the months. And at the same time, living by fear was not Joseph's path. Did Joseph ever see the vindiction of his decision? I don't think so. He was gone by the time Jesus starts his ministry. But I think he has vindication from his children. One, Jesus wasn't physically his, but he taught Jesus a trade. And he taught Jesus scripture, I think. 
I think next time you read Jesus quoting scripture, you might just say, thank you, God, for Joseph's obedience. And his other son, very famous one, named James. He said these beautiful things like visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep yourself unstained from this world. Is it possible that came from his dad, Joseph? Both sons appear to face their fear well. Jesus in the garden, that's known to us. James, if you don't know church history, before the Sanhedrin, as they tell him to forsake his faith, he just says no. Even as they stone him, or by some accounts they throw him from on top of the temple to his death, he faces his fear. That's a beautiful legacy, Joseph. But what would happen if he, because of, he wanted to keep his reputation, he refused to marry Mary? What if he refused to parent Jesus? I know we're all in a relatively strong Calvinist movement, and uh, those counterfactual what-if questions don't affect us like they do our poor Arminian brothers. But um, <laughs> if you're Arminian, I've just offended you. I uh, I apologize um, from the bottom of my heart, but. Other implication, in the story of God, we are not yet at the end, brothers and sisters. And so our context is opposition to the gospel, and therefore we should not be surprised when we feel afraid. We should both expect fear and the power to overcome it. It's just don't, don't be surprised when people oppose you when people do not want to hear what you have to say. Does anyone watch football? There was, a, there was some big games yesterday. I'm from Washington State, so we're not, that's not the type of football we play. <laughs> we're still the best, but we just don't win that often. But at, at one of the, I think it was the last championship game uh, last night, it was... Two teams that, for whatever reason, I'm having a mental block. And it's not important to the point, so I'm just going to move on quickly. But at halftime, they had a, a, a pass-throwing contest, and the winner got a scholarship. And a $100,000 scholarship, big deal. The young man uh, throws 20 successful passes, and they give him $100,000 for his law school bill. Which, back when I was going to school, that paid for everything. Now that just pays for about a semester, but nonetheless... So, some, such as inflation, but he got up and he said, I just want to thank God. And then he went on. <laughs> and he said, I just, if you don't have a, I believe in Jesus and you should too, effectively. That's a summary. I could, just fa reading the face of the reporter, not necessarily convinced that's what she wanted to hear or what she expected to hear, but he didn't appear to care. God give us courage. Fear can form our boundaries, right? Some of you are afraid of sharks, and therefore you don't go swimming in the surf. Some of you are afraid of heights, and you don't go on tall places. Some of you are afraid of getting hurt, and so you avoid relationships. Some of us fear the future, and so we 
self-medicate ourselves because we just can't bear to face it. But fear is wrong belief. I didn't originate this statement. I think it's a good statement. Fear is belief in the wrong things. Which statement is true? Soma Tacoma. God's opinion is more important than man's? Or man's opinion is more important than God's? Yeah, the, you guys are all going to pass that multiple choice test, right? Or, you know, we're going to review your membership and, and just, you know, take some steps. But, the, but may our actions reflect the right one? Life is a long, hard road. But be so concerned with God's word that when you see it on the page or you're, it's quoted by whether it's an angel or a brother and sister that you get up the next morning right away and obey, you don't dither. You don't wonder. There is a place for caution. But when the Bible is clear to us, when God's word is clear to us, when the spirit is clear to us, let us be a people that obey instead of just sit there and fret. You know, as a, as a church planner, I was, I was finishing up my PhD at Washington State University and God made it so clear, uh, and I'm not going to go through the whole story, but I had a, had a whole Jonah-like experience before that. I trained to be a pastor, actually was living here in Tacoma, I trained to be a pastor, uh, had a really bad church experience and saw it as a, as a closed door and just went off and did my own thing. And God kept saying, come back, come back. I've called you, I've gifted you to be a pastor. This is what you're going to do. And so as I was praying about it, I was like, God, I, I have been a pastor before and it was a miserable failure. Please make it clear. And I remember praying that prayer one morning in my office, underneath the stairs, a typical college student, no money, uh, and I sent, I prayed, and then I, I checked my email, and there was an email from Dr. Bruce Pinkerton at Washington State University, and he said, hey, could we talk? And I hadn't told, I hadn't told anyone other than Catherine, we've been praying, uh, God, please make it clear if you want me to be a, a pastor, not a professor, just make it clear and we'll follow you. And as I walk into that appointment with Dr. Bruce Pinkerton, at the bookie at Washington State University, he comes in front of me and he says, look, just let me finish. This is the most awkward thing I've ever done. Just let me finish. I said, fine, Bruce, what's up? He says, well, I was praying this morning and I felt like God told me to come tell you that you should be a pastor, not a professor. <laughs> and I, I swear if an angel had, had appeared in front of me, it wouldn't have been any clearer. You know, God is going to give us these moments where he, he says, this is what I want you to do. And I think if that's what God's, if God's word confirms it, if we feel the spirit in the middle of it, if there actually is an opportunity, I think we have to move forward. You're going to face these things. It's Christmas time with your neighbors. Your neighbors dearly need Jesus. And he's given you the words. If there's an opportunity, brothers and sisters, be courageous. Don't let fear bind you in. In our fear, God, help us to trust that you are with us, that you will never leave us 
walk with us through our fear. You know, as I was praying for you this week, I felt like God was telling me to tell you to let go of the ultimate result. It is not your concern. As I've been here several times and as I've heard leaders talk, I just hear worry about what does God have in, you know, what does have God have for Tacoma? It's not your, it's not your concern. You know and I know that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Amen? And there, there is a time when the church was planted, and there will be a time when the church closes its doors. But that's up to God. You, however, have been given very specific instructions from a God who is with you and a God who is very important. He has told you, press in. Press in. So proud of you. So proud of you for pressing in. For spending time in prayer. For spending time together. I think it's very clear in Scripture and in the Spirit and there's opportunities. Press in. Press in. Some of you, maybe the, the, the moment or the step of faith, the step of courage you need to take is invite Jesus to be part of your life. Maybe this is a beautiful moment in a sense where you get to see that following Jesus is not the path to prosperity and everything going well. On the, in the suburbs, we call it high five and white guy <laughs> moments. That's, that's not what Jesus is, is, is here for. There is, this is a road of suffering. You follow a crucified Messiah. But God is also telling you to speak truth to each other. Gospel, 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 gospel. God is with us. God is with us. God is with us. God is with us. God has given you a voice to speak to your brothers and sisters who are going through sorrow to remind them and remind them and remind them that God is with us. He is with us. He has not abandoned us. He feels the pain from Randy's death more than we do. And he also says care for each other. Sacrificially. Give till it hurts and then give a little more. And give a little more. This is what God's word said. The Holy Spirit is leading us in this direction. Opportunities abound, so let's do it. And in the middle of it, I just encourage you to remember Jesus. He is the courageous one. And he is with you. You remember this, what the son of Joseph had to endure? First of all, Herod, when he was just a wee lad, when he was two, when he was three. Then the religious leaders in his own town, and then the might of Rome, and then betrayal, and then a beating, and then a mock trial, and then a crucifixion. Maybe at this point it's cliche, but brothers and sisters, the nails did not hold him there. His love for you held him there. His love for you held him there with courage. You know that he sweat blood. The human side of him was anxious and full of fear, but he just said, not my will, not my will, but yours. And I know every step of the way, the Father is saying to Jesus, steady. 
steady. Just like he says to you, brothers and sisters, steady. I am with you. I am with you. The most beautiful verse I memorized as a young Christian, in the middle of learning how important God is and learning he's with me and all the opportunities I had in high school to, to speak and however many times I just wanted to, to not speak and just blend in. But this verse was, was present and memorized and it still, every time I read it or come across it, it, it strengthens my heart. It steadies my soul. Paul writing to timid Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. I pray that over you. I'm going to invite the band up. And I just want us to remember this prayer. Oh God, in our fear, help us to trust that you will never leave us. Walk with us, Lord, through our fear. Please bow with me. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. It is above ours. It is above every name. We gather here today as we sing, as we speak or listen, as we pray, we gather all these things to worship your name because you are worthy of it, Father. We could spend the rest of our days just uttering praise and we would never get to a point where we have uttered it enough. Father, may your kingdom come. May it be fully realized first in our hearts and then in our cities. May your kingdom truly come. May your will be done. Father, give us the courage to be what you are calling us to be. Give us the courage to step and step forward even as we mourn. Father, we set aside our reputations, our economics, our pleasure. May your will be done. Father, give us what we need. Right now we feel weak, tired, sad. Comfort us. Father, also give us the willing hearts, the generous hearts to share what we have in excess. Forgive us our many sins. Forgive us our fear-based decisions. Forgive our foolishness as we forgive those who have sinned against us in their fear. Father, help us to forgive others by the power of the cross. Don't let us yield to temptation. Rescue us. Amen.